Hey, what's waters? We have a special interview to share with you today, led by our very own Brian Solis, the VP of Global Innovation and Evangelist here at Salesforce, along with Sunil Rao and Alex Drinker. Listen in as they discuss how retailers and consumer companies can maintain customer loyalty in the midst of supply chain challenges, labor shortages, and inflationary pressure. This is one full of goodness you will not want to miss. Now we have Sunil Rao and we have Alex Drinker. I'm going to formally introduce them and then we will get things going. Sunil Rao is the VP and VM of Consumer Goods here at Salesforce and Alex Drinker is VP and Global Head at Retail Industry Advisors. Uh, I'll turn it over to Sunil first. Uh, to give a little bit more of a background on him. And then after that, we'll turn it over to Alec. Uh, Sunil, over to you. Hi, everyone. My name is Sunil. I'm the uh, Vice President and General Manager for Consumer Goods at Salesforce. Uh, I get to talk to a lot of our customers about what they're thinking about, specifically in the consumer goods space, as it pertains to the topics that we're going to be discussing today, loyalty and everything that's going on in the supply chain. So looking forward to the discussion and thanks for having me. Alex, over to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Uh, as you said, my long title, essentially what that means, our industry advisor team, bunch of ex-industry leaders who are now at Salesforce to help be your partners through transformation and be um, partners throughout what is always an unpredictable time in retail. Um, I've been here for about two years. Prior to that, I was in the industry my entire career, most recently as the chief marketing officer at Shinola watch brand out of Detroit. So excited to be here to talk all things supply chain, inflation, challenges, how about some positive stuff too. We'll get to it all. Well, with that said, let's just jump right in. Uh, so Sunil, I'm going to start over with you. It's been a year of higher prices, fewer products, uncertainty. We have stories about Halloween candy, maybe uh, not making it into treat bags this year. And of course, the holidays are around the corner. Uh, with this countrywide labor shortage um, and some goods being stuck at ports for weeks. You know, of course, one of the biggest indicators of consumer sentiment was Prime Day, uh, which occurred last month. So what were the um, overall trending uh, spending trends like? And would you say that Prime Day met expectations? Yeah, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Prime Day typically tends to be the measure of you know how online sales have performed and how online sales will continue to perform towards Till towards the end of the year, over into holiday. Uh, I think the headline is yes. Uh, I mean, typical, uh, typical style Amazon fashion. You know, lo lots of growth. I think uh, this year was no exception. Online sales for brands and retailers, something around eight percent was the metric. Uh, and you know, there's a whole blog post that we actually put out on this, uh, detailing this out uh, from the folks on our uh, industry insights team, talking through the details here. Uh, but I. You know, I think I think there's a, there's a silver lining here in the sense that, you know, although although there are these instances in time where where brands are selling more, and you know, Prime Day being an example, uh, the macroeconomic pressures and, and inflation, the things that you alluded to, Brian, are real, right? And a lot of brands are really looking at how they weather the storm, if you will, for the coming year or so, uh, thinking about how they optimize what exactly they're marketing to consumers, what exactly they're promoting, which parts of the portfolio they think will sell versus the others. Um, and then coming back to you know the, the key topic for today, which is all about the supply chain, um, given warehouses are full uh, in some cases, but not full of the right stuff, 
how do you optimize for the consumer experience and make sure that what people are trying to buy is available at the place that they're trying to buy it? So uh, I'd say at a high level, that's kind of what's going on. Yeah, no, that's, I think when we think about supply chain issues, unless you're sort of working in that sector of the life cycle, you know, we tend to think, think about it as a consumer you know, or a customer, self-interested, thinking about the things that we can't get or that prices are going up. And Alex, I think I'll turn this over to you. You know, like as Sunil said, you know, warehouses are full, not necessarily with the right products, which is a different problem than we had earlier uh, in the year and, of course, last year. So I'd love to hear your take on Prime Day, but also maybe sprinkle in a little bit of your thoughts about what or how this is affecting customer loyalty. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was trying to go back to 2019, 2020. And that year, we saw a 50% increase year over year in online sales in November and December. And that was really all about how do we then get the products to the customers that we have. So that last mile bottleneck. So 2020, last mile challenge. Next year, inventory scarcity in 2021. We had continued increase in demand and surge in online orders, but the challenge was that we had these bottlenecks. So almost I looked at that as the first mile challenge. How do you get the raw materials into the hands of the manufacturers to get the products into the hands of the retailers to then ultimately get them in the hands of the consumers? And we were really conditioned to buy early. So you think about Prime Day started the early discounting season last year where we were worried that we wouldn't have enough product to get to the doorstep. So we essentially, as consumers, were conditioned to start buying earlier. And Prime Day caused that kind of halo effect to get everybody interested in buying earlier. What was different than this year? I would say there were no real discounts that retailers were offering up last year because they didn't have a ton of inventory to offer up. I think the average discount rate was somewhere around like 10 to 12%. Fast forward this year, we've now have inventory, in some cases too much inventory, and Prime Day is earlier. And what we're thinking about and what consumers are thinking about is, I think there's going to be a whole lot to discount and a whole lot of discounts to be had. And so Prime Day kicked off that kind of discounting season where we're now expecting things to be upwards around 18%, somewhere around there for kind of the average discount that is extending. So I say all that because then what does that look like in this new world order where consumers are buying earlier, where people are thinking about, well, we're still faced like we're talking about today with supply chain challenges. And so in my mind, it's this idea of profitable differentiation and profitable differentiation is we bought a bunch of technology during that last mile challenge, to just get product to people at the end. We bought a bunch of technology to figure out some of our supply chain challenges. And now it's how do we make it all work together and get value out of the technology that we do have and then use additional technology to layer in to kind of figure out how to just make everything profitable. And the last point I made is that you look at this, a lot of retailers, you've seen some of their earnings reports like Walmart, Target, a couple other people have said, hey, we bought a bunch of stuff this year because we were hoping to have post-pandemic buying behavior where everybody was spending like it was everybody winning the lottery. And what we found is this inflationary challenges, which is leading to a lot of the supply chain challenges, is causing a pullback in spending. So just a lot to unpack that starts with the beginning of the life cycle of these products, i.e. the supply chain. Yeah, you know, as, as we were talking about in, in one of our earlier sessions, my wife went to buy a bicycle last summer and I mean, she literally uh, was laughing at in the store. And 
there was a great article recently about how stores are now just overflowing with bicycles. And so those discounts, I think, are going to help, of course. But I, I think technology, as, as you bring up, uh, Alex, is something that supply chain needs to become more comfortable with. You know, I've, I've met buyers, those who work within logistics, and I was surprised at how, let's just say, less than advanced. Uh, many of these systems are or were. And now with this pandemic, this disruption, accelerating artificial intelligence and machine learning, I think everything has to change. So now we're on the cusp of the holiday season. Uh, and I think every year it starts earlier and earlier. Uh, and so we're facing these these gluts. We're facing still some challenges. We're now buying discounts. But loyalty is something that I think isn't always connected to the supply chain story. Supply chain itself, I think, has been making more headlines in the last year or two than maybe in the last decade altogether. But loyalty is usually attached to things like purchases or frequency or volume. So I'd love to hear, Sunil, I'll turn it back over to you uh, and then over to Alec. So with the holiday season coming up, obviously, Customer loyalty should be top of mind for brands. How should companies think about loyalties despite these massive challenges and and who actually should be thinking about it? Yeah, I think Brian, you know, it's loyalty is a tough one when you when you think about inflation, when you think about the way consumers shop, just the way we all go into a store and buy products, right? I think it really depends on the category and the individual. When it comes to, you know, and the, and the way I like to think about it, very simply put, how long am I wait, willing to wait to receive something if I place an order online, right? If it's something that I feel is commoditized and something that I can, uh, you know, very quickly switch brands on and, and I get the same value out of the product, then likely it's not even a thought process. Oh, I'm not going to hold out for an extra day to get, you know, the, the brand that I usually buy if I can get another brand and it does the job, Right. Uh, so then how does a brand or how does a company retain loyalty in those environments? It's it's just a much tougher situation when it's uh, in the FMCG space specifically, and it's a product that, you know, more or less has a lot of category switching that takes place. And then when you get to some of the higher value products where, you know, you 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 really can look at the customer journey before they make the purchasing decision, I think that's where the opportunity lies and continues to lie. Uh, to maintain stronger relationships. And this might be at a brand level where it, you know, if, if the customer does buy several products that roll up into a brand, maybe from multiple categories, there may be a tendency to, to retain them to the brand by using loyalty programs, by using mechanisms that basically incentivize them to stay within the family, if you will. Uh, but, you know, I think it's, it's really tough for, for CPG companies, specifically in the FMCG side. Uh, to do this unless they're thinking about it in a much broader way and they're thinking about it across their portfolio of brands and across their portfolio products because then it's a little more sticky to the consumer. And, you know, we all know that consumers today uh, make a lot of their buying decisions based on whether or not they believe the values of the company align with their own values. You know, sustainability messaging and packaging is, has really taken off because that's what consumers are saying they want. Uh, so, Tying these messages over with the overarching kind of brand vision and message uh, and then making sure consumers understand that is is kind of one step in the right direction. Yeah, you know, uh, Alex, before I throw it over to you, Sunil, you bring up a good point because not only has supply chain hit the headlines quite a bit, but also the link between supply chain and sustainability is now on everyone's mind. Uh, And the stat that you shared, it's incredible. In our 
state of the connected customer research, we found that 61% of, of customers had shifted brands simply because values weren't in alignment with sustainability being at the top. Another thing, too, to think about as we connect the dots between supply chain and loyalty is that the same report found that 71% of customers in the last year experimented with new brands. And look, I obviously supply chain and getting what you want is part of that. But another part uh, that I learned in, in my research was that people want to be open to their own empowerment, their own solutions. And service has now become a really big part of the supply chain dilemma. So for example, I wrote this article that was just uh, published that explored what companies can do to proactively communicate, to proactively apologize, to share or be more transparent. You know, if you've ever ordered an Uber or Lyft or DoorDash, you know, when you see that car heading towards you, it relieves a lot of the tension or anxiety about whether or not it's going to be late. It's proactively communicating to you. It's showing you where the product is in the process. And I think there's a lot of creative things that we could learn from that to apply to supply chain and service and loyalty. Um, and so with that said, Alex, you know, how do you see that retailers need to think differently from a strategy perspective as consumers continue to shop for their must-have items? Yeah, I mean, a lot of good points. All the points to how do we focus on the customer at the center of the experience that we're creating, whether it be... And really B2B relationships and B2C relationships. So on the, but really if things start thinking about the retail side of things, loyalty has to start with it being a strategy. Loyalty is an outcome rather than loyalty as say like a program that you just turn on and it magically works and you magically retain more customers. That's not how it works. In fact, we've seen with this surge in digital that I talked about at the beginning, We've seen customers start having this higher baseline of expectations about what experience, true experience from a brand or retailer really means. And they know, and you've seen them switching faster and faster because they know what a good experience looks like. And in fact, we've surveyed a number of consumers and we found that after three bad experiences, 80% of consumers are willing to deflect to another brand or will deflect to another brand. And so retailers need to think about it what is the strategic outcome that I'm trying to get with loyalty in faces right now where we're going through a bunch of challenges where people are pulling back and thinking about value, pulling back on their spending? Well, then it's probably more about retention tactics. And if loyalty is a retention tactic, then um, you're thinking about how do you get more out of your best customers and how do you get more out of your best customers? What are you giving them in return? Uh, it's interesting. We did a survey not too long ago about post-purchase journeys where we were talking about you know, what brands and retailers are communicating to customers after they purchase a product. And what we found is a lot of brands and retailers are sending messages for the interest of the brand, not the interest of the consumer. And that was causing a bunch of churn and deflection uh, from their best consumers. And so what it really has to come down to is what are your customers value? Put that into your kind of strategy engine, and then you can think about loyalty. By the way, if you're doing it right, you're collecting a lot more first-party data. You're talking about being able to enrich the strategies you already have in place in which you communicate with your customer. Service, marketing, commerce starts driving a more cohesive, kind of unified, frictionless experience that really helps uh, ultimately drive that better outcome of having 
uh, a, a longer forming relationship with your customer that's much more authentic. And then in turn, brand and retailers kind of benefit from just getting a lot higher spend from those customers as well. Oh, man. I mean, so much that we could unpack from both your points and as, as well as from Sunil. You know, that three bad experiences stat always sticks out because I, I wonder if people are going to, uh, I mean, that's pretty patient if you think about today's world, how, you know, an Uber is never fast enough. Your food uh, on DoorDash or Postmates or groceries is never fast enough. Um, one of the stats that I, I love from our, our State of the Connected customer research said that 88% of customers say the experience that you provide is as important as your products and services. And I always wondered whether or not the other 12% actually understood the question. Uh, but to your point, you know, loyalty as an outcome is a real different mindset that I think we, we need to entertain here because now we're talking about sort of cross-functionality, you know, first-party data, loyalty, supply chain, back office, front office. Uh, and so now I'm starting to think about sort of operationally, how do companies need to think differently about data, uh, how they collaborate within, and sort of how that data is converted into insights to engage customers so that it's not just to the benefit of the brand or the, or the business or the retailer, but to also the benefit, especially the benefit of the customer. So Sunil, I'll, I'll turn this one over to you. Uh, how are you seeing partners pivot to meet their customers where they are in order to earn customer loyalty. Yeah, I, I feel I feel like companies that are getting this right really focus on the experience for the end customer or the consumer, right? And I, and I think once again, it's that broader, like Alex was saying, like if you just call it loyalty for loyalty's sake, right? What exactly is that? Like, what is the scope of loyalty? Should it not encompass every touch point that you have with the consumer, everything from consideration down to support and service when, when they have the interactions with you post-purchase uh, across the life cycle. What is the life cycle? Like when do you look at, you know, companies, I remember uh, we had Kimberly Clark at uh, one of our Dreamforce events about a couple of years back, and they were talking about how they look at the total portfolio because, you know, they, they obviously sell many, many products across many categories. Uh, and they were talking about the concept of from diapers to depends. So the entire life cycle of a consumer, literally from birth to uh, death. How do you think about all the different touch points they have across all the different brands? And then when you broaden the aperture to that level, right, you think about, okay, what are the kinds of things that I can offer this person uh, at a program level if they have a relationship with me across all the different interaction points they have across the channels and brands that they actually purchase, uh, across the brands that they purchase, across the different channels in which they engage. So wh when you broaden the aperture and you start thinking about the consumer or the customer in that way, you know, the, the folks that kind of look at the programs as what are the kinds of moments where I can create value exchanges where they're willing to give me something because I'm giving them something back and, and really taking all those opportunities and aggregating them up to create a complete experience. So I, I think it's, you know, it, it really, it really depends on which brand. And, and once again, Amazon becomes like the, the key example we all use because why do we all use Prime? Because they're free shipping, right? And I think one of the surveys we did in that Connected Shoppers report, that was the primary reason why someone joins a loyalty program. So give me free shipping or give me loyalty program, uh, loyalty points, right? That I can replenish. Once again, Amazon, like if you, if you use the credit card on anything you purchase on Amazon, you're getting those constant points coming back and you can apply them to new purchases. So it's, it's really identifying with your brand message and ethos, what are those value exchange moments? And then building the community around that and scaling it out across the portfolio of uh, products that you sell. 
Yeah, thank you, Sunil. And I, Alex, I, is there anything that you want to build on there, sharing some of your uh, your thoughts or ideas? Oh, I mean, I think just b- building on this idea that customers are not hiding from the fact that they're willing to give you information as long as you're willing to do it, something with it in return. I'll use my Shinola example for a second. We used to have a preference center where when you sign up for emails, you tell people what type of emails you wanted, male, female, leather, watches, whatever. We didn't do anything with that information. And the biggest complaints we got was, why would you ask me for it if you're not going to do anything with it? And this is pre-Salesforce, obviously. But what our challenge was is that we were hooked on this idea that we had to capture these preferences. And you don't have to unless you're ready to take action on it. And then once you do take action on it, customers are willing to fill out profiles, write reviews, check into the store, share their phone numbers, text message, birthdays, whatever it is. You just have to understand that you can take this as a tiered approach for those people who are thinking, man, I mean, I feel like I'm so far behind. You are not. And a lot of people have just started with the basic 101 building blocks of kind of personalization to drive loyalty. It doesn't have to be anything novel. It could literally be a frequency at which you send an email to a customer gets to a personalized interaction that they say, hey, they listen to me. In the absence of that, and we talked about it a lot during the pandemic, but it still sits here today. And you mentioned it in your stat on, you know, the product, the experiences are just as important as a product. So is the trust in which you're building with your consumers. And I'd say transparency and trust are the most important things when dealing with customer data. And as long as you're honest about well, how you're using it, what you're using it for, they're very much willing to share a ton of information with you. I mean, isn't that incredible that customers want to trust the businesses that they work with? That's two years in a row that trust has actually been at the top of the business transformation that customers want to see from the, the businesses that they work with. Uh, and number two was the role that you play in society. I mean, that really speaks to the humanization of all of this. The technology can allow you to get closer. And to your point about data, you know, this, is, this is so big. This is so huge right now. When you talk about as a business or as a marketer of personalization, you know, it, it tends to be sort of self-interested. You know, what's the right offer, you know, right device, right time. But when you talk about personalization to the customer, what they're really talking about is just to be more personal. Uh, so to your example, you know, how are we asking people for that exchange of data uh, for better experiences? Whether it's a dialogue box that pops up when they're on the site or whether it's an email that says, click here to manage your preferences. You know, this is an opportunity to reestablish that social contract. Uh, and, and to engage with people differently uh, in a much more personal way. So, Sunil, Alec, you know, why don't you share sort of your top line thoughts of where businesses need to start and maybe who can lead that process? So, Sunil, start over with you. Yeah, happy to give my two cents. I think, I think look, the broad thing that I'm, I'm hearing a lot, for, especially from our customers and a lot of the CPG companies, more on the CG side than on the retail side, is, you know, exactly this topic, which is why should I start understanding consumers better? I think I think they've gone over the hurdle of, hey, I need to get better insights into the people that are ultimately using my products. But what's my strategy on being able to collect the right data and then utilize data that data in the correct way, right? So a lot of the conversations around, you know, even the whole discussion around retail media networks blowing up, like the idea of being able to specifically segment out and target the right consumers with the right message so that they're buying the right products is kind of top of mind and continues to be a discussion topic. And then on the flip side, you know, we briefly mentioned the fact that discounting is back, right? From the brand's perspective, 
that's a lot of money that they spend on a yearly basis, which is like 20% of their gross profit. So for them, it's constantly important to keep an eye on how much of that is being spent and how they can optimize that trade spend. Uh, so those are kind of the two top areas that I hear quite a bit um, when it comes to this topic. Thank you for that. Uh, and Alex, over to you. Personalization is going to be what wins in the future. And I think we looked back, convenience and safety were obviously top of mind for everybody and every consumer. Now it's really about value and experience. And so as we move into that value and experience, I think everybody's got to think of how do you have a shared experience metric where you're truly measuring customer experience with one kind of single unified view of the customer? We always talk about it, but then when I talk to a bunch of retailers every day, they say, oh, we have 44, 46, 50 different ways in which to measure customer experience across marketing, commerce, sales, service. That's too many. And the reality is customers can feel it. Talk about them deflecting. They can understand what companies have it together and what companies don't. And a lot of that starts with focusing on that customer experience. And so as you think to the future, I think every customer is wanting just a more seamless, frictionless interaction across every channel, which they shop. It doesn't mean that it's the same experience across every channel. It just needs to be frictionless. So if you're in a mobile experience, maybe there's something easier for you to serve up kind of your latest product that you shop for, your wish list is easy available, or it's just easy to log in, or it's easier to check out with a unified payment strategy or in store. It is the experience that really touch and feel merchandise. Whatever that is, just think about it needs to be less than 45. I'd say probably one to three is probably the best way to measure customer experience in terms of metrics you actually look at on a daily basis. <laughs> yes. And so many more metrics that I think we can create for this new world. Uh, and also, I want to just take a moment to say thank you to everybody who has took the time out of their busy days to join us. Okay, so, so many great insights from Brian, Sunil, and Alex on the opportunities for brands and retailers to build trust and relationships, which, of course, create an outcome of loyalty even during these more challenging times. I think we can all agree it was time well spent listening to all these incredible speakers share their points of view. Thanks for joining us today on the What's What and talk to you soon. Bye.